Well, I want to thank Miles for reading the scripture for us. I know it was a little bit longer than what he probably thought he signed up for today, but I thought at the start of the sermon series, we should probably hear the Ten Commandments all the way through at least once. And so he was the lucky scripture reader who got to do that for us, and I thank him for it. The Ten Commandments are a critical part of the Christian faith. Having been taught for millennia and having shaped so much of our own society's understanding of law and justice and morality, I wonder how many of us know all Ten Commandments. We just heard them, so maybe it's a little bit easier right now, but I suspect most of us have forgotten already. I've tried to make sure I knew them, so I'll step away from the lectern so you can trust this, and I rehearse them, of course, because sometimes up here you get a little bit forgetful. But we have, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. That's 10, right? That's all 10 commandments. It's not impressive. It's just 10 simple things. But maybe you don't know these commandments. Maybe you're just exploring the faith. These are new to you. You've heard them for the first time today. Maybe you've been in the church a long time and you're familiar with them and you know where to find them, but you've just never really committed them to heart. Maybe the church hasn't done a very good job of teaching them to you. And if that's you, I want to say don't worry too much. You're in really good company. In 2007, a survey found that 80% of respondents knew that a Big Mac has two beef patties. But in that same group, fewer than 60% knew that thou shalt not kill was a commandment. Similarly, 62% of people knew that Big Macs have pickles, but only 45% knew the command to honor your father and mother. A mere 29% remembered the second commandment not to make false idols. In short, as Reuters put it, Americans know Big Macs better than Ten Commandments. I know in Canada we like to think that we'd be better than that, but I don't think the survey would be that different if done here in Canada or even if it was just done within the church. And this is hardly a recent phenomenon. There's a story that I really like about an Anglican bishop and a martyr of the Reformation, Bishop John Roy Hooper. And he didn't really like being made a bishop, but he figured one thing he could do is he could visit all the clergy that he had supervision over and just make sure that they knew the basics, that they were teaching the right things. So he went around and he made sure that they knew the Apostles' Creed, that they knew the Lord's Prayer, that they knew the Ten Commandments. And boy, was he surprised, and I think you will be too, because of the 311 clerics that Bishop Hooper had oversight of, 168, over half of them, could not repeat the Ten Commandments. And 31 of them couldn't even tell him where he could find them in the Bible. This is not a new phenomenon. And so this summer, we're going to try to be just a little bit better than Bishop Hooper's clergy. And we're going to take time in the Ten Commandments. Not only memorizing what they are, though I hope you might do that as well, but also exploring what they mean for us. 
how they draw us into life which God intends for us, how they are good for us and good for our whole world. I hope by the end of the summer, not only do we know what these Ten Commandments are, but that we become more like Jesus, better image bearers of God to this city because of a renewed commitment to keeping this law of God in our lives. And I fear that some of us, some of you who are listening now, may already be reacting against this sermon series. You like me and you trust me a little bit, but you don't like all this talk about laws and rules. We don't like talk about rules, let alone commands. We hear that word law and we think about religious legalism, onerous and exasperating expectations ceremonial obligations or suffocating restraints that keep us from enjoying our lives. And we might wonder, doesn't being a Christian mean that all those laws in the Old Testament don't apply to us anymore? Aren't we freed from the restrictions of the law? Aren't all things now permitted for those who are in Christ Jesus? We're not the first to think this way either. In Matthew 5, Jesus anticipates that some of the people he is speaking to long for the law to be abolished, and he's quick to correct that thought. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus does fulfill the law by living it out perfectly. But he doesn't stop there. He challenges all those who follow him to not only follow the letter of the law, checking boxes out of duty, but to also understand and fulfill the spirit of the law. Again and again, Jesus seems to up the ante on the law to make it more onerous, we might even say. So often he says things like, you have heard it is said, but I say to you. You have heard it is said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. Jesus understands these laws in a very different way than we seem to. He sees these commandments as having far more far-reaching implications than we might have expected So is Christianity just a religion about rules and laws then? Is Jesus a lawyer making our lives more complicated by interpreting all these laws we have to follow? Well, take a deep breath because also no, don't (laughs) exhale, it's okay. That's not what this is either. Jesus sees very legalistic people around him all the time in the Pharisees. And he says that our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees in order to enter the kingdom. Because following Jesus is about way more than what legalism would allow. We often hear it said, That Christianity isn't about religion, it's about relationship. And what people who say things like that mean is that Christianity isn't about rules, isn't about rituals and ceremony that magically and miraculously makes us right with God, isn't about staying just on this side of the line or else God will smite us. 
But that's not what this is about. Rather, they're trying to say Christianity is about relationship with Jesus the Messiah, with the triune God, one God who exists in relationship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think that this sort of idea, this not religion, yes relationship concept, unfortunately pits these two ideas against each other, rules and relationships, law and grace. And so we come to see the God of the Old Testament as the God of rules and laws and obligations, and the God of the New Testament as the God of relationship and grace and love. And we separate these two things away from each other. But we can't separate them from each other. God is the God who gives law, and God is the God who comes to us to be with us. Law and grace are bound together. Isn't that true of all our relationships, though? All our relationships have rules in them somehow, don't they? We don't call them rules, right? Uh, It would be pretty awkward if we say, oh, the rule I have with my friend is, that's not how our friendships work. But my relationship with my wife is best when I operate within the rules of our marriage vows that I would love, honor, and respect her in plenty and want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. And when our relationship isn't going so great, it's probably because I've broken one of those rules. I haven't loved, honored, and respected her in the ways that I've said I was going to. In the same way, my relationship with you as your pastor has certain rules as well commitments which I made to you at my ordination and commitments which you made back to me. And I'm able to best serve you when we're both trying to fulfill those commitments to each other. One of those commitments I have written on the whiteboard in my study to remind myself, and it is that I would give myself diligently and cheerfully to the service of Christ's word and sacraments and discipline. And for my part, I think the hardest days I have are probably the days when I've not been so diligent in a little while, or when I've forgotten the joy of the work which I get to do. And later in the service today, we will hear the vows of those that God and this congregation have called to serve as elders, and we will make promises back to them sort of rules for our relationship with them as our elders, restrictions that we agree to live by within which healthy leadership in the church can occur. As Jesus himself says to his friends, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Relationships have boundaries to them, and it's only within those boundaries that the relationship can really flourish. And these laws, these ten words which God speaks to Israel, they create the conditions for loving relationship. That we can have a loving relationship with God. And that more than that, we can have loving relationships with each other. It's not about rules or relationship. Rather, it is about a relationship within which rules create the conditions for goodness and for life. We can see that this is how the commandments begin. God speaks to Israel, and before the commands, begins with relationship. This is who I am, and this is who I am to you. God introduces God's self. I am the Lord your God, 
Here, the word Lord is actually the personal name for God in Hebrew, what we will often call Yahweh. God says, I am Yahweh, your God. And then the introduction continues in case they forgot who he was. I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God begins by anchoring these commands within relationship. I am your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I rescued you from slavery. I know you, and you know me. I care for you, and I continue to care for you. This is who I am. The American theologian Kevin DeYoung takes this a step further as he highlights that it's not only the introduction, the preface to the commandments that form relationship with Israel, but the commandments themselves reveal something about who God is. He writes, the commandments not only show us what God wants, they show us what God is like. They say something about his honor, his worth, and his majesty. They tell us what matters to God. We can't disdain the law without disrespecting the lawgiver. But so often, we think of rules as restrictions to our freedom. We here, most of us here together, have this very North American notion of liberty. And that notion is that I am only free when I can do whatever I want, when I can be whatever I want, when I can say whatever I want. And any limitation on that is inherently a limitation on my freedom. This isn't the Christian notion of freedom. The Christian notion of freedom is that we are most free when we are free to be what God has made us and called us to be. And everything else that pulls away from that makes us less than human, less than what we were intended to be. So then we fear that any rules, especially some of these rules that God gives us in the commandments, take away our freedom. But we forget already the context from these commandments, that these commandments are given to people who've just been rescued from slavery. They are being given commandments not to put them back into bondage, but to liberate them completely. That's God's intention. He's brought them out of slavery, but now he needs to teach them that they're not slaves anymore, that they're free, that they can live in new ways. These are words which God speaks with the intention to provide freedom and to provide life. Jen Wilkin, in her book, Ten Words to Live By, writes, The ten words are encouraging words meant to give us hope. Hope that we will live rightly oriented towards God and others. Hope that we will grow in holiness. They are not given to discourage, but to delight. They are no less than words of life. These are words of life. And so it is that God sees Israel as his child. And like any good parent, God creates boundaries for the good of God's children. Like a father, God tells Israel to respect him, to not work so hard but find time for rest, 
to honor other people, to value life and the relationships we form with family and our neighbors. These are good and life-giving rules, reminders of who God our Father is and how people who are in his family behave. Whether you're a parent and you've had to enforce a bedtime so that your child will wake up well-rested the next day, and I'm sure that wasn't always appreciated, or maybe you're a gardener who has had to clear weeds or prune plants to ensure that your garden can grow to its greatest potential, or you're a teacher who ensures a good learning environment in your classroom, I think we can all see the value of these kinds of boundaries. And as children of a loving Heavenly Father, we ought to be able to trust in and even love the commands which God gives to us because we know that they're for our good as well. Psalm 19 challenges us to see God's perfect law as refreshing, his trustworthy statutes as giving wisdom, his right precepts as bringing us joy, his radiant commands as enlightening. And honestly, we might not be there today. You might not feel that way about those commandments today, and that's fair enough. But like every other relationship we have, God offers to us these ways of being which allow us to relate to him better, allow us to know God more completely by becoming like God in our living, which will allow us to display God's love and care for our neighbors to live rightly. So this summer, we're going to week by week look at one commandment after another. And this week, it was just a primer to get you ready for the idea that we're going to talk about rules, and it's going to be okay, and it's going to be good for your life, for our church, and I hope for the city and the world. And I hope and pray that the words of the psalmist would be words which come to resonate as true to you as we hold each commandment in our minds and allow them to shape our hearts and our whole lives, that we might more faithfully follow Jesus and in keeping his commands find the fertile ground that we might grow in relationship with God and with each other. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We like to leave space for you to discern the Holy Spirit speaking to you without me speaking to you. And so there will be some silence and a couple of questions and a prayer prompt for you to consider. And you can take this with you through the week as well. The first is just, what is your first reaction to the idea of God's law? And why do you think that way? Where does that reaction come from? And then the invitation to pray. Pray that God would draw you closer to God's self, that you would grow in love for God's commands.